You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. All right, and I'm pleased to be joined now by Spencer McLaughlin, uh, who hosts the Locked On Ducks podcast, where he covers uh, Oregon Ducks sports inside and out. And we have him here to help us break down potential IU transfer edition Kalel Ware. Uh, if you're watching this, then you know what everybody expected to happen probably did happen, which is that uh, Kalel announced for Indiana. And as we always do, we want to get you know the insight of, of people who have actually really watched these guys play, and so really, really. Uh, excited and appreciative that Spencer uh, responded so quickly and was able to give us some time today. So thank you, Spencer, and welcome to the Assembly Call, man. Yeah, hey, great to be here. Appreciate you reaching out and always always down and always prepared to, to talk ducks. Excellent, excellent. So, you know, I was going through some of your tweets, actually, and I was looking back, and the day that it was announced uh, that Kalel, and is that the proper pronunciation? Is yeah, it Kalel? Yeah, Kalel, Kalel, you know, somewhere in that in that range, it kind of it kind of floats floats back and forth, but you you, you got it, you got it. Close okay. Enough. So I was looking, and the day that his transfer was announced, you retweeted it, and you had a one word reply that was darn. Was yeah. your was your reply, <laughs> and it wasn't you know outside of the context because obviously you know we haven't watched these guys play, but you know we kind of know with Kalel that he came in as a highly regarded McDonald's All American, you know had some flashes but didn't end up playing a ton. Kind of got in Dana Altman's doghouse. There's a lot to unpack here, but I was just kind of curious if that was a kind of a sarcastic reply or kind of what I guess what the general sentiment was when that was announced that he was moving on. Yeah, I mean, at least for for me personally, it was it was not a sarcastic reply. I had hoped he would return to Oregon. Now, I am glad that he's not going to the NBA because you know, for for the kid himself, that would not be in his best interests in in my view. And we've seen Oregon bigs go to the draft before they're ready to, and mm. their NBA careers don't pan out as they perhaps could have if they'd stayed in college and develop their games further, right? Because then you're trying to improve against pros before you can, you know, round out your skills against college kids. It's yeah. like you go to, uh, you know, a really challenging golf course and you're trying to get better there. It's like, no, you should try and conquer your your local Muni first, then try and, you know, take that next step up. I'm a big golfer. I'm playing later today, if that wasn't obvious. But so he, <laughs> he was a guy who came in, you know, number eight recruit in the country, second highest rated recruit in Oregon men's basketball history behind only Bull Bull. And, you know, Bull Bull's career was also disappointing at Oregon, but because of an injury, it shut him down because when he was playing, Bull Bull was like 21 points, nine boards and three blocks a game, you know, somewhere in that range. Where, on the other hand, and I thought this about him coming in, you know, when I watched his uh, high school highlight reel, I, I thought, you know. He, he's got immense potential. Like athletically, there's just not that many people that are built like him. You know, like you just, you're, you're seven feet tall. You can shoot from range. You can run. You can jump. Like it's, it's just a very unique body type. But he came from Little Rock, Arkansas, which was a place where you don't have an immense amount of high school talent. Now, he performed well in USA basketball stuff, you know, McDonald's All American and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But still, the bulk of his high school playing career came against kids who were just, you know, six foot two, six foot four, right? Like no one is even yeah. coming close to this guy. So I thought there might be kind of an adjustment and a transition period, you know, where he maybe comes off the bench or is in more of a reserve role in the early portion of the season. And then he kind of develops as the year goes on. And, you know, I, I was right about the first part, but the second part just never came to pass. He, he never looked like he was completely adjusted to the college game that he never really, you know, kind of made the the jump, so to speak. And, you know, his his offensive game 
really looks the same now as it did when the season began. His defensive game does not, but there was a transition element that I thought would be there that he just you know wasn't able to make. And then, like you said, he did kind of get in Dane Altman's doghouse. He wasn't playing a lot. He actually didn't play for an entire game. I forget which game it was, but he was a wow. healthy scratch because he, he just wasn't quite processing things or adapting in the college game the way that you know, us, us Oregon fans were hoping that he would. And there, there was some growth as the year went on, but you know, there was never, there were brief, very brief stretches over the course of just a handful of games and conference play where, you know, he was a highly impactful player, but it mostly came at the defensive end. And you look at that compared to, you know, and Folly Dante or even Nate Biddle, who got a lot better. Those are both five-star big men that are on Oregon's roster right now. They had stretches where they're taking over the game at both ends of the floor. They have games where they're dominant. And Folly Dante, first team all pack 12. Nate Biddle, you know, when Dante got hurt, stepped up and was a guy that, you know, was putting up 20 and 10 pretty consistently over the last several games of the year. And Ware just kind of never took that step. And I was optimistic that he could. I'm glad he's going to be in college because that I think is the best thing for his NBA prospects. And, you know, he'll be able to make plenty of money getting drafted and whatnot. Someone with his, his physical stature, but I, I would, I was legitimately disappointed because I wanted him to come back. I want to have two of Biddle, Ware and Dante return because, you know, they're such elite shot blockers and they're great rebounders and they're a great presence and Ware's potential is so immense, but sadly just won't be materialized at Oregon. Is there a generally accepted explanation for why it didn't materialize, especially on the offensive end? Not specifically. Um, there, there had been, it's very, very speculative. Um, never seemed like he had the same work ethic as some of the other players on the team. And I think that was reflected in the amount of growth, right? Like I see a guy like Nate Biddle who, you know, when he got to Oregon as a McDonald's All-American, a five-star recruit last year, he barely played like Khalil Ware, but he stuck it out and Nate Biddle got a lot better. His post moves became more refined. He was a more consistent scorer. He's a smarter player. His energy was there. And I think the energy is is kind of the biggest thing that held Ware back. It seemed like, you know, he, he came from, like I was talking about, uh, a place where high school basketball is just not going to produce a lot of elite talent. I think he was kind of able to coast in high school. And once he got to college and he had guys who, you know, are, are, are pushing him around, making him run up the court harder. He has to work harder, process things quicker. I think that just hasn't clicked in his brain yet. It absolutely could, but that growth wasn't there. And I look at other players who did grow like Nate Biddle and, and even in Folly Dante, who was very raw when he got to Oregon and has developed tremendously. And I say, man, it, it just kind of seems you know, with the fact that the coaches are not playing him as much as we all expected him to, I don't know if he's a grinder. Doesn't mean he doesn't work. Doesn't mean he doesn't work hard. But I, I think that from what we saw from his play style and, you know, what the, the coaches told us with how often he played wasn't a guy who was putting in the necessary extra time because, you know, how else do you say, well, the same caliber of player under the same coaching staff is showing market improvement because he, you know, Biddle barely played last year. And by the end of this season, he's a guy who we looked at and said, if he's our starting center, we're in a great spot next year because yeah. he can block, he can, he can do all this sort of stuff and where's growth just, just wasn't there. So I think, you know, something has to click with him 
and a coaching staff, and I hope it does, to really get him to commit to working on his game because he's been so reliant on his physical traits for so long. He now is in a place where he has to be more skilled in order to succeed at a higher level than what he has shown so far. There's an article from his hometown paper back in Arkansas, and I forget the uh, the writer who wrote that. Forgive me. But, you know, he essentially talked about how just from a personality perspective, you know, Colel tends to be kind of a quiet, shy guy. Yep. And, you know, when he got out to Oregon, I guess the coach who recruited him there left to take, I think, a head job. And so, you know, he was kind of there, not on, on his own, essentially, but, you know, the again, the assistant who recruited him wasn't there. And then he and Altman just didn't kind of click was the hypothesis anyway, kind of spinning it from Kalel's perspective and that maybe a fresh start with a new coaching staff or he feels more comfortable, closer to home, could help to unlock some of those things. Do you kind of buy that as kind of a reason for why things didn't go well and why a, you know, a new location might be good for him? I do, yeah. I mean, I, I hadn't seen that piece before. I'm going to read it once we hop off recording. I'll see, yeah, because, I'll send it to you. I'll yeah, that, that, you. I would, that would make a lot of sense to me. I'd forgotten that element about, you know, the, the assistant that recruited him. I forget his name. I might've been Tony Stubblefeld might've been his name, but anyway, so something like that would make a lot of sense, right? If he didn't click with Dana and the assistant who recruited him wasn't there. If you told me that from the outset, you know, when the season began, like, Hey, this happened. I would say the downside of that taking place, the assistant leaving would be what this season was, which was never felt like he established a role, never felt like he was fitting in, didn't feel like he was getting better in in, in dramatic ways. And he was just kind of out there and he still played and, you know, had productive moments because of his traits. But like his ceiling is a top five pick in the NBA draft. He's not even close, not even remotely close to that right now at, at this point. So, I, you know, I, I hear something like that and, I, it makes me want to dig further because that clicks in my head as to okay, that's why that's why that didn't work. Gotcha. Okay, y'all, I'll send you the link because it was interesting, you know. And it's it's one of those things. I mean, you see a guy who's that highly regarded with that kind of physical talent. I mean, because you watch the highlights and it does, it just you know it pops off the screen. Yeah. Um. You know, you do. You kind of look for explanations for even for even what's his college on. highlights. You know, the few that there are, I wish there had been more, of course. But like the ones he does have, they pop off the screen. Yeah, because you see him, you know, catch a ball on the baseline and just go one step, two step and throw down a tomahawk. And you're like, whoa, there's not a lot of guys on the court that can do that. Or, you, you know, you see him pick and pop and you see a guy that tall step out and hit a three. And you're like, mm, there's not a lot of guys that can do that can do that either. But there were just so many other elements to his offensive game that are are very unrefined right now. And I think he needs to to find the right coach and, and maybe Mike Woodson is that coach who can you, you know come in and really shift his mindset to make him the best version of himself because he clearly wasn't able to achieve that at Oregon unfortunately. Give us your you know your kind of in-depth scouting report of him as a player and you've talked a little bit about it but I'd love to even yeah. get a little bit more detailed and we can start on the offensive end. Um, yeah. You know, and I think a lot of fans recognize that he's a versatile guy, kind of a modern center that can step out, face the basket. I think he took 55 threes uh, this season, hit, I think he hit 27, 28%. Was that at all yeah. a point of contention, um, him taking so many threes at a low percentage, or is well, that just indicative no. of his so, skill? So, so when he was recruited to Oregon and I was, you know, watching what, what his skill profile was based on his highlight videos and reading reports and all that sort of stuff. I actually coming into the year 
wanted him to be Oregon's starting four. I wanted mm. him to be an inside out four because he could play down on the baseline in a zone or on the block for post-ups, free throw line area, but also step out and hit the three. And I wanted Folly Dante to be at the five and Oregon to have that sort of length. But his inability to hit open threes consistently, like he should be a much better than 27% three-point shooter. Almost, you know, 90% of the threes that he took this year were open looks, whether that was on a ball rotation or a pick and pop, whatever the case may have been. He's he's not taking, you know, step back threes, pull-ups in transition with a hand in his face. Like he's getting open looks and he only hit 27%. And that that's the biggest area where well, actually, I think the second biggest area where his game needs to grow, like he needs to be a better three point shooter because that's how you unlock his full potential offensively. You know, I, I think that the absolute maximum ceiling in this, you know, he probably can't even go this high because he's an all time player. But I look at Dirk and I say, mm-hmm. OK, look at what Dirk's game was. Trailer threes, pick and pop post ups, right? and effective in the mid-range using his size to hit fadeaways. There's no reason where, if he continues to develop that shot, can't have that well-rounded of an offensive game. Probably not able to do it at the level of Dirk because Dirk is you know, one of the 15 best players I think we've ever seen in, in the NBA. I, li- I live in Dallas, man. You're speaking my language now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, like I, I, I loved watching Dirk. But like that, that sort of physical profile here, and Khalil Ware is more athletic than Dirk was, right? Dirk was kind of slow Stiff. and where is slow footed but you know where can get up where can block more shots he could be a better player at at the defensive end of the floor so three-point shooting just ha- has to improve straight up and from the start of the year to the end of the, end of the year it did not he would miss open threes regularly to the point where you know when he put up a three i wanted him to take it because he needed to within the structure of the offense and because i know it's best for his growth and potential but i was expecting it to not go in like I was surprised when it did go in, you know. And was so, there something mechanically that was off? Was it a confidence not that thing? I you see. Think? No, I, I think it, I think it's just gym time. I think he's just got to you know get that gym rat mentality a little bit, get in there, work on it, and also shoot them over the course of games as well. Like yeah. you know when you have those preseason games against low major, mid major teams that you're going to beat by 20, 30 points, he's got to take those shots, develop them, but he's got to have the confidence as well to let them fly and. That that's the I think second part of his offensive game that needs to develop because the first one is his low post moves. When he fades away, like he gets a post touch, he he's got decent touch around the rim. I won't say great right now. That also needs to improve. And just again, feels like a gym thing, which is going back to my earlier comments. Like the growth just really wasn't there from the early part of the season to the end of the season. It just seemed like man are you are you working as hard as you possibly can because other guys do develop like that and he just was not and I think that's why the assistant coach thing makes a lot of sense but one shot that he would go to pretty often on the block is a turnaround fadeaway he could turn over either shoulder but when he put it up it just it, it's one of those moves that at the college level just pops off the screen because you're like oh that's no people don't do that right and folly dante first team all pack 12 could not put up a turnaround fadeaway if he tried everything he does is five feet and in from the basket that's just kind of his game but where you know he shoots the ball kind of up over his head so he's got a really high release and you know you know as a mavericks fan when you get a seven footer in the post who's athletic and can hit a fall away no one can block it can't go yeah no one can touch it and when he made those shots you looked at it and went, boy, he might be one and done going to the NBA draft. The problem that I saw, though, was he was not 
particularly efficient on that on those types of shots. His two point percentage this year was I think about fifty three percent. He was forty six percent from the field on the season. He was like fifty three percent on two point shots. But that's because the part of his game that is really good is the pick and roll. When he sets a screen and rolls to the basket, he's got a great sense of awareness for when the lob is coming, where it's going to go, how to finish it, and that's when his athleticism shines. But I look at his three-point shooting, and I look at his ability to consistently hit a turnaround fallaway, which is a shot he can get at literally any point in time, right? You feed him in the post, if a double team comes even, he can just turn the, turn the other way and shoot it. He's got to be more consistent with that. The potential is there, but he is as raw of a five-star prospect and potential high NBA draft pick as you could possibly have at the offensive end, whether that's hook shots, fadeaways, three-point shots, all that needs to get better. But his he, he does have some, some strengths as well, which I'm sure you'd want to hear about. What was the – I'm just curious contextually because, I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time watching Oregon. What was the guard situation like? Was he playing with pretty good guards that could set him up well and were pretty good at making reads in the pick and roll? That was a, a big inconsistency this year, and I think that that actually brings brings up a great point, which is that you know he, he was playing with a fifth-year point guard in Will Richardson who has been a really good player for Oregon, was a two or a three for a long time, was ready to be the one – had showed that potential many times, but then he he would disappear. And this, mm-hmm. you know, last season was a tough year for him at times, but a really good one at times. This year, he was helping Oregon keep their head above water at the beginning part of the season. He was playing well at the beginning of conference play, and then something went wrong. I don't know if it was an injury. I don't know, if, but he lost his confidence. So Will Richardson stopped shooting, which hurt the Oregon offense as a whole. But Will Richardson came almost overly reliant on passing. And I think that kind of helped Khalil Ware a bit in the pick and roll game because sometimes Will would give him the ball when Will should be putting up a floater or pulling up mm-hmm. from the mid range, right? But I, I think that he had you know solid guard play this year, but I definitely wouldn't call it great because Will was sometimes the only guy. Keyshawn Bartholomew is a pure scorer. Kuznard is a good player, South Carolina transfer, but Kuznard and Bartholomew even weren't healthy for chunks of the season, right? Particularly mm. early. So it was really just Will Richardson. And then early in the year, I kid you not, against Villanova and Michigan State, Oregon was playing walk-ons because oh, wow. they 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 weren't healthy. Brennan Rigsby, a JUCO transfer, wasn't healthy. And Tyrone Williams wasn't healthy. Kuznard was out for surgery he had before the season. And Bartholomew was hurt. So they were down four guards. It was Gee, Will Richardson whiz. having to play 40 minutes or so. And Will is a really, really good passer. But the other thing, too, is Will is not the most athletic guy. He's 6'5", he has good size, but he doesn't have tremendous burst. He's not very twitchy. So I think sometimes you know that, that made him either over-reliant on the past or not able to make a feed because he couldn't break down a defense the way that you would you know, like a point guard to, right? He's not like a Caleb Love who you know is transferring to Michigan. Michigan, Michigan yep. yeah. So he's going to Michigan. He's not like that. Where you know he's going to blow your way with with your athleticism, but so just just to summarize, guard play that he had solid, but could definitely be better and more consistent just because of the injuries they were dealing with this year. Okay, well that paints a really good picture offensively, and I think part of the optimism with Indiana fans is he'll be paired with a you know a fifth year senior in Xavier Johnson, who's excellent at making reads, excellent at throwing lobs, which. You know, should I yeah. think help, and Khalil, help kind of maximize that, what Khalil yeah. does well? Yeah, that is the best part of his <laughs> offensive game. Hit like the lob plays that they drew up for him, that they executed. 
They were awesome. Big time highlight real plays. What about the other end of the court defensively? Yeah, started very raw. And I think one of the reasons that he didn't play as much was he was not understanding defensive rotations. He was out of position many times. But, you know, the encouraging thing from a work ethic standpoint, I know I've, you know, uh, dogged, on, dogged on him a little bit on, on that front with his offensive game. But the defensive game, I thought, showed tremendous growth because defensively early in the year, he wasn't a liability, but he wasn't exactly an asset because he just didn't always know where to be. And I think going back to the high school talk that I had earlier, he was just used to being so much bigger and faster and stronger than everybody. He could just kind of sit in the paint, not really do anything, and he'd get out of position. But then as the year went on, and this perhaps makes sense because Dana Altman's calling card has always been defense. Certainly has never been offense. Oregon's never had a high-flying offense under Dana Altman, <laughs> but they've also won a lot of games. Yeah, His defensive improvement was – pretty substantial from what I saw and I watched a good amount and he became a guy who then understood his assignments better who was in better positions and his his length and athleticism makes him unlike any shot blocker Oregon's ever had like if he'd stayed another year he could have developed into the best shot blocker Oregon's ever seen and we've had some great ones Jordan Bell Kenny Wooten Chris Boucher like you just go down the list and Folly Dante is a really good one as well where when he does, you know, kind of get beat off the dribble, he's not fleet of foot. He is not very quick, but he makes up for it because he's so long. You know, a guy like Caleb Love could just explode by him and Love could feel like, oh, I got him. I'm just going to scoop this up. But where can recover because he is so athletic and so long. his arms are really long. I don't remember what his wingspan is. Um, I actually wonder if that's. Uh, accessible. Jay yeah, Billis has probably huge. got it. Has probably got it uh, somewhere. But his uh, his wingspan. Nah, whatever. I can't find it. It's it's at least seven feet. You know, same as his height. Yeah, I think that's what Archimedes told us, or some someone like that. Um, but he uses it very well, and he would block shots where you'd watch on TV and go, "How did he get to that?" <laughs> how did he get to that? And he improves as a rebounder as well. So I think right now he's a better defensive prospect than offensive, and there's a lot of room for growth. But you know, th- there were more stretches at the end of the year than early on where he would be the best player on the floor at the defensive end, and it was not particularly close. And you sensed his presence. He knew how to intimidate guys. He could block shots. He didn't foul too often. That that was something that I, I think he did very well. So defensively, ready to contribute and make an impact right away. Offensively, immense potential, but a lot of growth. Interesting. You know, it's interesting Altman being a defensive coach because usually coaches play young guys who will defend. And it's often the defensive end that keeps a young guy off the court. And it's interesting that it sounds like it was almost the opposite. Well, but, it, but, but how, how his playing time worked this year, it was less at the start of the year. And then it increased more as the season went on. Part of that was out of necessity, but you know he never had a moment after that healthy scratch where he didn't play in a game if it wasn't due to injury again. And I think yeah. that was because of his of his growth at at that end of the court. But you know he he ne- he certainly never developed into someone who's anywhere close to his full potential at Oregon. There were very fleeting glimpses of it, and it and it was mighty impressive. But. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's a guy who just, I think because of where he played in high school, you know, if he played basketball in Southern California, I don't think he'd have this problem. But yeah. I think this is what he is as a prospect because he's coming from Arkansas. 
which doesn't have a lot of people, doesn't have a lot of prospects, and you're just, you know, just kind of able to coast through it there when you're that big, that fast, that strong. But now that you're up against higher level competition, you know, he's got to be able to make that adjustment. Let me ask you one more question here. Yeah. And it may be an unfair question that, you know, that you can't really answer because I know you don't like really know him personally. But, you know, it, obviously, Indiana basketball is a huge fishbowl. I mean, this is like this is what we're obsessed with. This is everything, you know. And and obviously, Oregon basketball is popular. But I mean, Dana Altman it sounded like he was frustrated with fans, you know, not enough fans showing up yeah. for the NIT games. And so, it's a different level of attention and focus and scrutiny, I would think, at least the volume of it at Indiana for basketball than Oregon for basketball. Do you have any concerns or questions about how he might kind of adapt to that environment, which in Indiana is a little bit more insane maybe than what he's leaving at Oregon? I, I don't, you know, depending on what the expectations Indiana fans are are going to set for, for Khalil Ware, if he does end up becoming a, a Hoosier and hopefully my information here can kind of, you know, set and kind of temper those expectations because a lot of people you know more casual fans will say oh number eight overall recruit in the class of 2022 seven foot center can shoot oh my gosh he's gonna be a dominant player like that's that's not what he is right now but he's a very quiet kid like and i think that you know was kind of a problem for him sometimes at oregon you know nate biddle surpassed him in playing time because I watched Biddle go out there and he was just playing with more energy. He was just playing with more moxie. He was just playing with, with more oomph to his game. You know, the, the hustle, the grind, the grit and where, you know, he was just kind of out there. And, and sometimes it felt like he was just going through the motions, you know? And mm. I think that's somewhat a reflection of, of his personality of he's very quiet. He's reserved. He's not going to show a lot of emotion in that sense. So if, if you don't, you know, herald him as someone who's going to be the savior of Indiana basketball and carry you to the final four, then I don't think the media scrutiny is going to be too much for him. It's not like there's, you know, no coverage or attention for Oregon basketball. But, you know, I talk about far more football on my show than basketball because it's far more popular amongst yeah. Oregon fans. So I, I think there is an element uh, of that. But, you know, the other thing, too, is, is the crowds at Matthew Knight Arena this year were somewhat muted compared to, you know, we're not talking hundreds of people. We're talking, you know, thousands and thousands, but not as many thousands as you would like to have, you know, say for a couple games games uh, throughout the course of the season, like Arizona was a great crowd or Houston, that sort of stuff. But I would love for Oregon basketball to be at a place where it's not matchup dependent, but maybe, you know, that's an element that, that he's missing, right? Like I've seen the crowds at Indiana. You guys are going to pack the house just about every time, right? Like that's, that that's it's a it's a much bigger deal there. So maybe he just needs more of, of a home crowd and encouragement there. But I, I don't anticipate, you know, he wasn't a guy who talked to the media very often. I don't think he was focused on it very much. I think he's just, you know, kind of there to to do his thing and play basketball, stay quiet and and just kind of go about his business like that. So I I don't feel like that'll that'll be an issue unless fans, you know, put him on a pedestal that he that he probably shouldn't be on. Well, we will we will certainly try and use our platform to make sure that everyone's expectations <laughs> yeah. are responsible. That's why. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's why we're trying to talk with someone like you, who I think can give us the full three hundred and sixty degree picture, because it's obvious there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this guy. For all the reasons Oregon was excited to get him, a lot of Indiana fans, you know, are going to be excited too. Um, and actually, it's interesting. A lot of what you've said um, about his strengths and weaknesses 
actually seem like things, the strengths will really fit in well. And I think some of the weaknesses, there are some elements of things that Indiana does that I think can maybe help hide those weaknesses or, uh, you know, in, in some respects, and hopefully has a better relationship with the coaches and some of that stuff is better. Um, but I'm, I really appreciate you giving us kind of that balanced perspective on the stuff that he does well, the stuff that he doesn't. And, you know, he's a freshman and a lot of guys make their big mm-hmm. jump between freshman and sophomore season. And, That'll be yeah, and and, and one 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 more thing. I do think it's highly encouraging. You know, we've talked about his mentality, mindset, and approach to basketball and relationships with coaches and whatnot. I think it's highly encouraging that this is a guy who decided to come back to college and say, yeah. "I do still want to be here and develop my game." You know, before I go to the NBA, because if he had come out into the NBA draft, he would have been taken in the first round just because he's seven feet tall. He can jump, you know, out of the gym for somebody of his size and has three point shooting potential. Like some team would have said, let's take a flyer on him and, you know, play a two to three year development process and see if we can make him into a role player or or starting power forward or center or something like that. But he decided to come back to college. So I think that's kind of the silver lining here for Hoosier fans or whoever ends up getting him on, you know, the mindset and approach is he's still here. And that means something. Absolutely. Spencer, thank you so much for your time, man. I really, really appreciate it. For the crossover fans, for folks who do pay attention to Oregon uh, sports that are in our audience, what's the best place to to find you? Uh, Locked on Ducks is available on YouTube uh, or wherever you get your podcasts, Monday through Friday, all year long, even through the summer months. Do my best to keep uh, daily content coming out. And I'm on Twitter at smalls underscore 55. Shoot me a DM anytime. As Jared knows, he just hopped right in there and yep. said, hey, could you come on? I said, <laughs> yeah, talking to the right guy, my man. But yeah, great to, great to talk to the good people of Indiana out there and hope, uh, hope my insight was helpful. No, it was very much so. Very much. Spencer, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate yeah, it. You're welcome.